Welcome to Tech London, a show featuring interviews with London's top creative entrepreneurs, startups, investors, design agencies, internet marketers, and freelancers that make up the Tech London online community, which mostly lives on the Slack instant messaging platform. We rotate through both hosts and guests for these interviews, so you have the chance to hear from multiple perspectives on London's tech scene. Hello, folks. It's another Tech London podcast, and we're so in a hurry, we're going to get right into it. Danae, what do you do? What are you known for? What do you like to be known for? Blah, blah, blah. I'm the CEO of Vala. I'm probably known most for being that lady that people send their friends to when they have problems with their employer. And that's exactly what I want to be known for. I'm going to get an employer just so I can, you know, send them to you. Um, <laughs> oh, that doesn't work. So uh, what caught my attention in your... Um, you know, online TikTok-y thing was the case about remote work because everyone's talking about remote work and, you know, back to the office and all this kind of stuff. And that bit about people should, employers have to consider a remote work proposal uh, or flexible workspace, flexible work proposal really, really got my attention. So can you, can you explain the scenario? Absolutely. So this was a case I posted about on TikTok. It was in 2019, an employment tribunal um, decision. And it was a woman who had asked for flexible working using her right to request flexible working. And the employer said no. She brought a tribunal claim and the tribunal found that the um, the employer had actually broken the law in two different ways. Uh, the first way was that they had constructively dismissed her because she ended up resigning because it was impossible for her to kind of carry on. And the second way was that it was also indirect sex discrimination. Um, so yeah, I can talk through, it's a really interesting case because typically when I get, because I get a lot of questions from people, especially on TikTok lives and things like that saying, you know, what can I do about my flexible working request being denied? And the thing that really frustrates me is you have the right to request flexible working, but you don't have the right to flexibly work, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the, that's the little gray area because if, if people listen to that and went like, oh, it's my human right to flexible work, they, you know, it's the context of it is is really important. Yeah, it's it's super frustrating because that that right is relatively weak as well because like the the employer I'm looking at the list of the reasons that the employer can say no. So they can say no because there's going to be extra costs that will damage the business, they can't reorganize the staff, they can't recruit people, it'll affect quality, they can't meet customer demand, lack of work, all that kind of stuff. And so typically I've kind of almost written this right off a little bit because it is so easy to say no. But then when I found this case, I was like, aha. So what the thing is, even if the employer can say no for all those reasons, they have to actually take it seriously. It's similar to a redundancy process. You can't just make someone redundant, fait accompli. You have to go through the process and see if you can possibly work with them to find an alternative role or something like that. And this is really similar with flexible working. You can't go into the process as an employer and say, you know, this isn't going to work. It's just absolutely not going to happen. We just don't do it. Because despite the fact that it was relatively easy for them to have lawfully said no, because they went into the entire process saying this is not going to happen, that's where they broke the law. 
And so you have to actually try and you have to show that you have tried. You have to show that, you know, you've looked at the working practices and determined that it wouldn't work, that you've looked at how other employees work. You can't just say no and expect not to have any kind of consequences from that. So something I want to ask is, did, did they know what they were doing when they did it? Did they just say no because they couldn't be bothered? Did they know because they wanted to constructively dismiss her? Or did they know because they, did they say no because they just don't like people working like that? I th- I think it's the latter. I, I think that they didn't realize that this was going to be discriminatory because I think flexible working in general is just kind of viewed as, you know, not important. Um, the I think of the two ways that it was illegal, the constructive dismissal is interesting because anyone who has worked at a company for over two years has the right to not be constructively dismissed, um, which basically means that their employer can't make it impossible for them to continue working there. Um, and by basically not accommodating her schedule um, and her reasonable request to work flexibly, they they did that. But the, the really interesting one is the second way that they broke the law, which is the indirect sex discrimination. Um, so I, I think when we think about discrimination in the UK, we typically think of like, you know, some kind of evil, evil manager saying, well, she's pregnant, so I'm not going to give her a promotion, you know, just straight up or, you know, maybe even like a racial, racist slur or something like that. But there's actually six different types of discrimination and indirect is super interesting because what it basically means is that a company-wide policy can have the effect of discriminating against or detrimenting one particular protected characteristic of people. And if that's the case, then it's unlawful. So they basically said no flexible working is not allowed as a company policy. And often you hear employers say, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. It's a company policy. But the tribunal specifically says, because they said it's a company policy that you couldn't do flexible working and because women are disproportionately affected by um, childcare responsibilities, then that was a discriminatory company-wide policy. I it would be something like that. Because that that when, when all, all the you know case for remote work and flexible working and stuff like that, like overwhelmingly, the people I am connected to directly, like I I love it because it means, um, you know, I don't have to organize my whole day around my children. Yeah, and and I get to you know, there's a lot of I'm sure you do too. There's a lot of people who when they've like, this is exactly what happens to me because most of the time. I am taking my son to school and picking him up. And part of that is because it just works better for my wife and, you know, what she does in the day. And also our co-working space is right next door to the school. So it's like a no-brainer. But that three three to four in the afternoon, I can never do anything because it's, it's, it's around childcare. And then, you know, that is an all, consistently organizing factor. And, and in my case, it's a lovely organizing factor. But, you know, that if I was in London – you know, when we both lived in London, that was, you know, a complete pain in the ass trying to like, I don't know, race on the underground to get there in time. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you, the, the interesting thing is if you were employed, this wouldn't put you at an overall disadvantage, this policy, because typically 
it's not men who have the greater responsibility for childcare in our society. But if they did, then this would be discriminatory towards men instead. That, that's one of my other favorite things is um, even though I, for most most of the time, because my when we lived back in the UK, my wife worked for the NHS and was always in an NHS, you know, environment. Um, you know, I, I, I did most of the picking up and everything, but they would always, this is like an ongoing joking conversations like this. They'd always phone my wife. And, and even though we said like every year we had to say, you know, phone Bernie, not Lorena. And so they just de- their default setting is, you know, phone the mum. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just so hard coded, isn't it? So what can you, um, I feel, I feel like a sort of big reveal in the national Enquirer now. So, so what did this woman get out of this tribunal? So she won £66,000 in the end um, because of both of those. So one was a discrimination and one was a um, constructive dismissal. The remedies for those are different. Um, They didn't break down the exact kind of way of compensating it. But what's interesting about discrimination is um, if you're discriminated against in employment tribunal finds that that was true, not only are you able to be compensated, for example, your past losses or future losses. So for example, if she resigned because she was constructively dismissed and she had to take a job that paid half as much as the current job, and she thinks it's going to take, you know, maybe another year to get up to the same level again, then that would be a future loss um, that she could compensate she could claim compensation for the difference between those two numbers. But in addition, she will probably have been awarded a injury to feelings award, which is literally compensating for the hurt and distress caused by the discrimination. It's specific for discrimination. And those awards are technically uncapped, but typically go up to £45,000 plus interest. And sometimes because these cases move through the system so slowly, that interest can be massive. So I'm I'm expecting that's why it was sixty six thousand pounds. So it was like from twenty nineteen. So it was like three years worth of waiting. Well, in this particular case, I don't know when the incident started, but I'm assuming if it happened in twenty nineteen, if if the award happened in twenty nineteen, she probably brought it to tribunal in like twenty seventeen or eighteen. We're seeing cases, you know, take that long at the moment. So so her um. So it, even at that, even before COVID, it was law to at least consider properly a, a flexible workspace case. A flex. Sorry, I keep on saying space. Flexible working case. Yes, absolutely. And um, yeah, COVID hasn't really changed any. I'm not aware of any legislation that was updated during COVID. What you see a lot after COVID is contractual issues and breach of contract issues in particular, because some people who were hired in on remote only contracts after COVID kind of got started, then when all of these employers are trying to do these return to office mandates, they're finding that they're actually breaching the contracts of people who were hired for remote working. I mean, checking your contract to see where your typical place of work is, is really useful if you're trying to negotiate this with your employer. So I've got two questions. What, 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 what's your opinion on the, um, you know, let's get back to the office, remote work, you know, like you, you must follow a lot of this 
exhausting conversation on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's it's you know what really fascinates me is how the um the big companies seem to be such like sheep <laughs> where they one does it and then the rest of them are like oh like you know Facebook did it or Meta did it and then suddenly Google's like oh I can do it too <laughs> it makes me laugh um I I think it's ridiculous um and I think it's a real I I cannot understand from a logical perspective why they're doing it because they all are citing creativity and innovation as the reason, which I think we all know is just nonsense. Um, there are very good reasons to have people um, working together physically, especially more junior people learning from their colleagues and things like that. But I would be shocked if these big organizations give a crap about creativity and innovation and if it wasn't more about control and utilization of real estate um i think you know we we're 100 remote but we do work um at vala um but we do um try to get together at least once a month together and it is different when you're working together but it also means that a lot of people can work with us that wouldn't have been able to work with us otherwise and yeah so in general i think it's about control I don't think it's to do anything to do with creativity. I always think that too. And and there is like we I was in London last week and um you know I got together with Jax and you know we we spent a, a group of us spent like you know, 5 hours talking around the same table together and it was transformational. Um so you know really 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 get that and I personally I think people getting together where they can on a regular basis years ago before any of this happened there was a book by i can't remember his name but it's called year without pants and it was about a guy who scott berkham um he went to you know he's a tech consultant and he went to work uh, matt mollowig hired him for a year at wordpress or automatic because they were going to they, they were moving they suddenly jumped from like 60 people to more than 60 people and he wanted to work out how to be remote what effect that would have on the team and everything and scott worked in every department in wordpress from like support to wherever else they went um and it was really really interesting how how it affected and and probably a lot of people nowadays know that automatic is a fully remote company but teams get together i think it's every quarter and in the book and this might have changed since then in the book your team get given a budget to meet up. And if you want to, you know, go to a blow your budget on a gold plated room in Paris to do your remote work, you can, or if you want to go to a, you know, a farm in outer Mongolia, you can, whatever you, you can do, whatever you want with it, but you just have to make sure you, you get together and produce, you know, meaningful work. Um, and it was, it was really cool. And I, I like that. I, I really like that idea. I've, I've just since 2008, I've been working, in a remote worky teamy projecty capacity and there are downsides to it for sure but um i don't know i can't imagine doing it any other way if i had to like commute i'd be it would all be over yeah i think that for a lot of people it's not the office that's the problem it's the commute and then when you look at you know financial inclusivity and things like that as well um you know the commute is often the deal breaker for people so what, what as, um, you know, so f- 
founders and people starting companies and businesses listen to this like what what do they need to watch out for in this remote everyone making people come to the office conversation like because i would I'd be horrified if anyone in the tech London community accidentally ended up in the situation of that company yeah i think it's um no matter what size you are you are still held to the same employment law as every other employer. There are very few exceptions where something doesn't apply to absolutely every company. And so, you know, making sure that you're getting advice very early on about your responsibilities to your employees. And then when something comes up before you kind of, there's like an instinctive, oh, this probably isn't a big deal. I would, I would suppress that. (laughs) And, um, you know, there's a lot of fantastic external HR people who can give you um, good advice about how to make sure that you're, you know, acting responsibly. But if, in general, if you're getting a request for flexible working or a request for reasonable adjustments, and um, dis- disabled people have a specific right to request reasonable adjustments, um, if either of those come up, that I think should be the kind of um, the blinking light that says, I need to get external advice about this if you don't have any internal kind of HR function. And it doesn't have to be expensive. And there's lots of different ways that you can get it. But getting that advice is so important. And kind of working with it and thinking, you know, how might we do this? Who else is out here doing this? Um, You know, accommodations can make you know they can be transformational for both the company and the employee so yeah it's definitely good advice thank you i am um, can we tell everyone where you can find you like if you say tiktok that must just be vague like be, be, be a bit let me put links in the show notes as always um where can we find you online absolutely i'm vala.uk on tiktok and i am danae shell on linkedin that's d-a-n-a-e and what is can you explain a little bit about Valor and how that I'm, I'm in awe of that story bit on the front page of your website. And I, I want to point out, this is not a sponsored post. I'm just thinking it's one of the most amazingly useful things on the face of the planet. Yeah. We help people at first document what's happening to them. If something bad is happening at work and then do something about it if they need to, so they can go all the way from, was that, was that okay? I'm going to just going to write it down in case I need it later all the way through to maybe raising a grievance. If that's not getting sorted, then going into negotiations with their employer or even taking them to tribunal and hopefully winning. And we take them all the way through the process on a platform with lots of templates and support. And then we also have a marketplace of coaches who can help them. And and that that's, do you call it the story? The timeline, yeah. The timeline, because that, that when you have to go um, around and exp- anything like that, and you have to explain the whole thing over and over and over and over again, like most of your time is spent trying to work out what to say. And if you have it just once to say, here's what here's what's happened, uh, that's that's the value. Well, that's part of the value, isn't it? And we That was the very first feature that we built, and it was because – Often people are going through traumatic situations and they were literally having to re-traumatize themselves to um, to get help. And so, yeah, that was why we built that feature first, so that they could put it there and then they could just share it and not have to go through the whole thing all over again. That's beautiful. Okay, I'm going to go to my next podcast and I'm sure you've got, a, you know, are you skiing or lunch today? What's going on? 
oh, I'm off to London this afternoon to go to London Tech Week. Yes. Okay. See you there, folks. Thanks very much for your time. And ladies and gentlemen, go to the Tech London's techlondon.io and there's a, a buzzing Slack channel and this community has been, you know, going since 2014, I think it is. I was there. Um, have a great week. Be careful out there. It is a jungle. You've been listening to the Tech London Show. If you're interested in joining the community or even making an appearance on this show, make sure you join our Slack group over at techlondon.io. Till next time.